Rogers scrambles He's left, winds up, runs the ball. He's got time at the 10 to the 5. Yes. To the end zone. Touchdown. And a dagger. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Gone for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. A podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided and one of the co-founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy Podcast. Not joining me, as always, is Trevor, aka Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He had other obligations to attend to tonight, so he'll not be recording. Or he's just hiding the fact he's still in a depression from the Packers beatdown <laughs> on Sunday when the 49ers literally ran all over us. So I'm over that game already. Is It was pathetic. So we're going to talk some Brewers baseball because Packers season's over, and now this is... This is what I look forward to now, the start of spring training. I mean, catchers and pitchers report in mid-February, about a month from as I'm recording this. Spring training games are played in like 35 days, and we're about two months away from opening day. So we're going to get right into it. Last time, or excuse me, last week, the Astros cheating scandal had just came out as Trevor and I were recording, and it kind of blew up as last week went on. And even the Brewers made the news in a quote-unquote cheating scandal. So if you hadn't heard, and take this with a grain of salt, but the Rockies pitching coach Steve Foster indicated he was suspicious the way Brewer batters reacted to sliders during the 2018 NLDS. Okay, well, the Rockies did get swept by three games, so maybe he's just salty. I don't know. There is no evidence out there to support that this happened. But he was very specific in saying that it was the way Brewer batters reacted to sliders and that it wasn't a way you would react if you didn't know the pitch was coming, was a quote from him. So Brew Crew Ball did a very good article breaking down how many sliders the Brewer batters saw. And, I mean, if we just entertain ourselves and go through it really quickly, go back to the entire series. The Brewers only scored 13 runs, and six of them came in the the finale at Coors Field. So seven runs through the first two games. So they were by no means an offensive juggernaut. But in game one, the Rockies sent forth, sent forth Antonio Senzatella, and he threw 11 sliders. And the Brewers swung at two of them. And he had very poor location, Senzatella did, leaving his sliders hanging up over the middle part of the zone. And then you combine the other pitchers from that game, the Brewers saw a total of 29 sliders. They put four of them in play, and three of them went for outs. So nothing really outrageous there. Game two, the Brewers saw 15 total sliders, put two of them in play, both for hits. And then game three, uh, German Marquez was on the mound for the Rockies, who is a 
pitcher who is heavily dependent on the slider, so he threw a ton of them. Himself, he threw 29. The Brewers hit seven of them. Six of them went for hits, one of them for an outs. And again, poor location by Marquez in this game. So, conclusion? I don't know. Just even looking at the raw slider stats, yeah, I don't know. Could the Brewers have cheated? I guess, maybe. But at this point, everyone in the MLB is being accused of cheating. <laughs> so... Like I said, I'm going to take this report with a grain of salt until someone proves otherwise to me, but I'm I'm just not buying the fact that Brewers were cheating in the NLDS in 2018, or ever for that matter, as I'm sure all loyal fans will deny that. I'm sure Astro fans denied it too for the longest time, but there is not a shred of evidence to support that the Brewers did do this. Speaking of evidence... There is evidence to support that the Brewers have interest in Pedro Stroke. He's been a Cub since the 2013 season, and he's been dominant. In a Cubs uniform, with the exception of last year, he's posted six seasons of ERAs below three. And he's pitched quite a few, quite a lot of innings during those time frames. So obviously last year he was hampered by a hamstring injury, a neck injury, ended up having an ERA near 45 his fastball velocity dipped from 95 to 93 miles per hour. He walked an assload more batters compared to normal and just did not look himself. So obviously coming back in 2020, I have to assume he's going to be healthy and he could be returned to his old form and be a force to be reckoned with. So I think it's interesting the Brewers have an offer out there on him and two other teams do as well. Or well, I guess I shouldn't say that. The Brewers do not have an offer confirmed out there, but there are three teams out there who have offers out for Strope. So the Brewers could be one of them. It's, we do not know that part yet, but apparently, according to Twitter, a decision could be made by next week or so on where Strope wants to go, but a contract for him could be, could be pretty intriguing to see how it would shake up. I mean, you have to think his 2020 value has to dip a little bit in terms of how much he's going to make in a year. So, if you can sign Pedro Strope for anywhere from, like, or say around four mil, that's that's good right there. And you give him a a club option for twenty one, maybe boost it up to like five or six mil. I I'd take that, especially if Pedro Strope returns to form. I mean, having him alongside Josh Hader and Corey Knable, as long as as long as he's performing, uh, could help lessen that workload from those guys because as we know Knable's coming back from Tommy John and you definitely don't want to be throwing him out there back-to-back days to start the year off and we saw the workload that Josh Hader took on last year and he I mean he just got worn out I think at the end of the year and we had we had to pitch him on back-to-back days a couple times and it was it was not pretty the statistics support the fact we need some extra dominant bullpen guys and Strope could easily fill that hole he's saved games for the Cubs 23 saves in the last two years 32 saves throughout his career still a pretty high strikeout pitcher posted a K per nine ratio over 10 last year despite the numbers not being there in terms of ERA and allowing runs so I think he would fit in well with this bullpen and someone the Brewers could take a chance on. <laughs> that also got me thinking, I'm like, oh, right, relief pitchers you want to take a chance on. And then I was like, oh, what about Jeremy Jeffers? Like, <laughs> he'd be awesome to have back. He easily could perform 
at the level or even better than Pedro Strope when he's on. And obviously 2019, he was not on leading to his release, but Jeremy Jeffers contract would be cheaper than Pedro Strope. So if the Brewers are looking to add relief pitchers, if things don't pan out with Strope, I would hope we would turn to Jeremy Jeffers because I would love to see him back in a Brewers uniform and playing to the potential that we know that he can. Um, and yet he has done mainly in a Brewers uniform. So we'll see how they decide to go in that regard. Other things I wanted to touch on today is, since I'm getting the the itch for Brewers baseball, I just wanted to touch on the schedule a little bit. We haven't talked about it this offseason, but last year the Brewers had a very, very tough start to 2019. I mean, that's kind of why when they started off 500 the first couple of months, I was like, you know, it's okay. We played a lot of games against the Dodgers, the Cardinals, the Cubs. And I was like, treading water is fine in April and May. And when we got to the easy part of the schedule in June and July and whatnot, and we lost series against like the Rockies, or not, excuse me, the Rockies, the Giants, the Padres, and yeah, the Marlins, things things weren't looking so hot anymore. I was starting to question the ability, and yeah, sure enough, the Brewers were a 500 team throughout most of the season until September. And granted, they had a fairly somewhat easy schedule in September. Obviously, there were some games against the Cubs and the Cardinals in there, but they also did play the Reds a couple times, the Pirates. So those were some, what you want to call easier matchups, but... When we look ahead to the 2020 schedule, it's completely different. (laughs) It's not a front-loaded schedule in terms of heavy competition anyway. So we'll break it down month by month, starting in April. So the first six games in April are against NL Central opponents. So you got the Cubs and the Cardinals right away. They also play the Phillies six times in April. So the Phillies... They bounced back a little bit last year and are looking to gain some momentum. They've had a lot of roster changes as well, so they are by no means a slouch, and nobody really is, especially early on in the season. So those will be fun to watch, see how those play out. When you flip the script to May, the Brewers have 13 games against NL Central teams, so that's almost half the month of there, and they also have a three-game homestand against the Yankees. So that'll be exciting. Can't remember the last time the Yankees have been in Miller Park. When you go to June, we have a series in Fenway. So going to the Red Sox, which AL East is the other division the Brewers played. So hence how we played the the Yankees, as I mentioned, too. We'll also play the Rays, Blue Jays, and Orioles as the season goes on. But the Red Sox series at Fenway, I'm definitely looking forward to in June. They have the Blue Jays at home, and then there are eight games against the NL Central that month. In July, I think the only interesting part about the schedule is immediately after the All-Star break, we have six games on the West Coast, three of them against the Dodgers. So I actually think that's pretty good timing for things. I mean, everyone gets rested up. Yeah, nobody likes to go to the West Coast, but after you're well-rested, I mean... That's that's what you could ask for. Like, that's a dream situation rather than you going, you know, from Milwaukee or anywhere on the East Coast all the way over to the West Coast and spending multiple weeks out there. No, six games isn't bad at all. That's that's a week right there. When you go to August, this is the most interesting month to me anyway. Twenty games against NL Central opponents. 
So the Brewers cannot wait until September this year to make things happen. Those games in August are all going to be magnified and are going to mean a lot in terms of the final standings, you would have to think. So August will be a key month for potentially shakeup in who wins the division. And then September, it's a harder September this year. We have four games against the Dodgers. We have three games against the Braves both teams of which are expected to win their respective divisions. And then to end the season, we have a seven-game road trip at the Cardinals at the Giants. So kind of another weird one where you're not on the West Coast very long. And then to end the year, obviously, that's that's a little wonky. You don't want to have to be doing a lot of traveling <laughs> as the season goes on, as, you know, especially if you have to, say, go play a wild card game in Washington right after the Giants series. <laughs> Um, so that'll all be interesting to watch as the season unfolds and we get a clear picture where the standings are, but just some things to point out I saw in terms of the schedule as I was looking ahead to the 2020 season. Other things to look for is obviously the contracts. It's way too early to start looking towards the 2021 offseason for the Brewers don't even know their full roster at this point for the 2020 season, but looking ahead, it's obviously... It's a big year for Ryan Braun. It's the last guaranteed year he's going to be a Brewer. After this 2020 season, he has a there's a mutual option in which, if of course you know the Brewers and Braun would somehow both agree, he would make 15 million for the 21 season. But I just I can't see the Brewers doing that. It doesn't make sense. They've obviously have used him strategically to make him still a productive player and get a lot of at-bats and record a lot of games, but he doesn't play a lot of complete games anymore. You need defensive subs for him late in games, and you know using him as a pinch hitter is obviously good because he still possesses that clutch factor, but he's not that everyday guy. And I think that's kind of why the Brewers went out and signed Avisil Garcia, you know, kind of foreshadowing like, hey, when when Braun's contract is up and if he doesn't want to return on a lesser deal to the team, they have Garcia to come back to. So good work there by Stearns, I think, to kind of set up for that situation in specific. Other options on the team, a lot of guys we just acquired, weirdly enough. Eric Sogard has a club option for 2021. Same with Jerko and same with Justin Smoke. And then the only true free agent is Brett Anderson. So pitcher they acquired. So... A lot of the guys that the Brewers just acquired could easily be turned right over come 2021, you know, depending on how those club options go. So I think that that's a good way that Stearns set the ball club up in that regard. And then obviously everyone always likes to focus on Christian Yelich's contract, so we might as well discuss it now. He's going to make $12.5 million in 2020. 14 million in 21 and then 2022 is when he has the club option of 15 mil so they would think probably around that time is when something like an extension would get done uh, leading into the or you know towards the end of the 21 season or maybe even during it uh, as long as you know he's still producing near MVP levels which I certainly hope he is but it's good to know that Yell just finally making some decent money the next couple years because I don't think he made over 10 mil in 2019 and definitely didn't in 2018 during his MVP season so money makes players happy so I'm glad glad that that deal he made with the Marlins such a long time ago and is very much still in our favor yeah he's still seeing a little bit more money so 
You know, Christian Yelich probably would never admit it, but I'm sure he's happy with that too. Looking ahead at a very, very broad spectrum of things in terms of the MLB, we'll just kind of highlight some key free agents from all teams going into 2021. Because, you know, the Brewers have obviously shredded payroll this season and could could be looking to add some guys who have expiring contracts. So that's kind of what I'm going for here. I mean, catchers, we'll go through it position by position. JT Remuto, Mike Zuno, Yadier Molina. Yeah, I don't see the Brewers getting any of those. Yuli Gurriel at first base is a free agent in 2021 or after this next season. Second base, you got Cesar Hernandez, DJ LeMayhu, Jackson Prokfar, Daniel Murphy. Third base, you got Justin Turner, Zach Cozart, Jake Lamb, Marwin Gonzalez. Shortstop, Marcus Simeon, Andrelton Simmons, Jonathan VR. Outfield, Moki Betts, George Springer, Jonas Cespedes, Michael Brantley, Jack Peterson, Jackie Bradley Jr., Jay Bruce. And then starting pitchers, you have Trevor Bauer, Robbie Ray, James Paxton, uh, Tanaka, Jake Arrieta has a club option, uh, Marcus Stroman, Jose Quintana. And then relievers, Blake Trinan, Alex Coleman, and then Andrew Miller has a club option there with the Cardinals. So a lot of big names there, obviously, but again just kind of fun to look forward to and it's a way too early 2021 look there in terms of free agents but good things to keep in mind as the season rolls along i think that will do it for me today don't have trevor to give me any of his insight so make sure you give me your thoughts on the podcast and let me know what you're looking forward to in the 2020 season what you see in the schedule who are you looking forward to playing etc so Until next time, we'll see you later, Brewer fans.